Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of No Experts Allowed in December 2021. Seth, can you believe that it's already December? No, I think that November was one of the fastest months of my life. It was insane. It's just like we're we're tripping and stumbling quickly into 2022, which is just insane. But it's not quite the end of 2021 yet. And there's still time for you to get some awesome No Experts Allowed merch for all of your holiday gift needs. If you've got a goofy white elephant, a fun secret Santa gift that you need to get, or if you want to give some cozy clothes to someone you love, check out noexpertsallowed.com and check out our merch store. But Seth, also for the first time in December 2021, I have something very important to ask you. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to pick flowers or clean clothes for a living? Ooh, okay. I think I would rather clean clothes. Only because one time, Patty and I went strawberry picking, and it, <laughs> and she filled her little basket, and I had like six strawberries in mine because <laughs> I was going so slow and I was I had to find like the perfect strawberry was, oh right I was gonna ask if it was because you were going slow or if it was like my problem where I just eat them as I, I was them. also <laughs> doing that <laughs> yeah I knew that agriculture or as coach beard says on Ted lasso horticulture baby was not my thing when I went strawberry picking with my grandpa when he was like 80 years old and he just plowed through a bucket of strawberries and I had done the same thing like picking four I don't know there's something satisfying about cleaning clothes like I love the smell of laundry I just feel like picking flowers might be a little bit more rewarding I'm really bad at folding the clothes I didn't specify as to whether that would be part of my profession or not but I think I'd go with picking flowers honestly could be hard. Both both of them would be hard work. I don't know if any of our listeners have Discovery Plus, the streaming service, but there's a wonderful show called The Laundry Guy on Discovery Plus. What? <laughs> and people bring him like things that are garments that are meaningful to them that they've like spilled something on or like has been deteriorated, and then he just cleans them. It's amazing. I should have watched that show before. I tried desperately to figure out how to get red wine out of one of my mother-in-law's white linen tablecloths while I was house-sitting and dog-sitting for them a while back. I'm pretty sure she doesn't listen to this podcast, but even if she does, I got the stain out. Nice, you got it. See, you you could have cleaned clothes. You have the skills. I guess so. That's true. Maybe not the desire. No, I don't have the desire. That's true. (laughs) Well, Seth, let's try to get back on track a little bit. And why don't you go ahead and read our passage from the prophet Malachi for us? I think getting back on track is a good idea. So this is Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 from the New Revised Standard Version. See, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, 
and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Okay, before we start, did you choose to use the New Revised Standard Version for this? Because it says, like, Fuller's Soap? I certainly did. (laughs) Yeah, that was also the inspiration behind our question, too. So, I have the rare privilege of having a totally biblical name, Jonathan David Fuller. (laughs) Or all, at least, words that appear in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) But I figured I'd compare the professions that inspire both of our names, a fuller or someone who is a cleaner, uh, especially of laundry and clothing, and a roseman or someone who picks flowers. At least that's what I assumed it was. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's truly the only reason I picked the NRSV. <laughs> but other than the glorious name of fuller... Was there anything that stood out to you in this passage? In the first half, I was a little afraid. Like, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand? Like, I was like, okay, that's like, it's a little scary. So maybe we should talk about that. But then in the second half, like if you get this idea of a refiner, that seems to temper the first half a little bit, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I thought that was helpful. What what about that imagery makes it, I don't know if palatable is the right word, but maybe makes it sit a little easier with you? Because of the second part, I read the, the first part, that who can endure the day of his coming, as if I don't have to be perfect. Who can endure? Well, the answer might be nobody. But luckily there's there's a refining that can take place. Sure, so, yeah. So it's not that you have to be pure in some way or clean from the get-go. But that like somehow that can happen later. And that this one who's coming like will sit as a refiner. It's, it's like kind of a beautiful image that the one who comes is the one who will do the refining work for us. Which, which makes me think, okay, well, maybe I can endure, but with this person's help, I can. Yeah, it's about uh, perfection, not the noun, but the verb, right? You know, being perfected, not being perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, this, there's this idea that, I don't know, I, I, I'm struck by that imagery too, Seth, and it's one of my favorite things about this passage. Because I think at the core of refining is the idea that in something that looks worthless, there is something worthwhile, right? Hmm. You're mining out ore that allegedly has silver in it. You need to heat it up to be able to pull away any impurities and anything like that. And that image then resonates to not just our own lives, but I think the lives of our communities too. Hmm. I think though a little bit of, 
I think we can get a little deeper into that kind of reflection when if we learn a little bit more about the book of Malachi. Because as far as I can remember, this is our first time in this short book that in the Christian scriptures closes the Old Testament, the end of the minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible, just a few chapters long. To be clear, Ingrid E. Lilly's commentary on Malachi in the Women's Bible Commentary was really helpful for me to prepare this because like I feel like most people have, or I guess haven't, I haven't spent that much time in Malachi or with Malachi. I haven't spent a lot of time in Malachi either. Or Malachi. Malachi, that's right. As I so affectionately call the book. So maybe it would be helpful if you gave us a little bit of an overview. Yeah. A couple of things that I learned about the book of Malachi. First one is about the timing. Um, At least the timing of the audience in the text itself. Not necessarily the timing of when it was written down. But the setting of this text is after the Babylonian exile. And it's happening in Jerusalem. So the idea is that it's... I mean, really, this passage that we heard read and the stuff surrounding it is surrounding this experience in the city that existed as the center of all that was. And you can imagine the devastation after exile coming back and seeing and remembering or hearing about the glory of the city of Jerusalem and experiencing a different reality in the moment. So it's kind of this tension between what was and what is. And then thinking about the refiner's fire and the ministry of the temple in Jerusalem. It kind of places a new communal element to it that encourages looking beyond just an individual refining, but thinking about our experience as a community may not be what it was, but it could be again. Hmm. And actually, what I, one of the things I really love about Malachi is, you know, this refining is not limited to just a spiritual sense. It's not just about devotion. The next several verses are about economic justice, how mm-hmm. the temple to receive God's full blessing needs to give to the poor as it was instructed to do. And so this refining is about, hey, our practices aren't quite up to what we claim to be about but it still could be possible for us to get there. Hmm. So there's this both this looking back and recognizing that we aren't there yet, and this looking forward and recognizing what we could be. The other thing that kind of plays into that too, that I didn't know, and at least learned from uh, Lily's commentary, is that Malachi is probably not a name. It is probably a transliteration of the Hebrew and Aramaic word for messenger, messenger. Yeah, or angel. By my messenger. That's also then translated in the first verse mm-hmm. that you read too, Seth. Yeah, so this is yeah. a book oh, of I'm a messenger. My messenger. Yeah. I'm sending Malachi. That that actually may be. I mean, not pronounced like that, and not pronounced like Malachi either. But again, there's this sense of. A messenger in the moment talking about a messenger that is to come. Hmm. And I don't know, there's just, there's a lot to do with time and looking forward and looking back. But I think especially thinking about the setting of 
Israel coming back into their home and recognizing that it wasn't what it was portrayed to be to them, I think that reframes the idea of the refiner's fire a little bit for me, at least. That was a lot of background information. Did any of that particularly land or stick with you? The tension between what they experienced before and now kind of what they're experiencing having returned to Jerusalem is really interesting to me. Like, I keep trying to think about this in relation to Advent. And sometimes when I read these Advent texts, like last week's, the first time you read it through, you're just like, what the heck does this have to do with Advent? And like, this was exactly the same. I was like, why the heck is this Advent too? Like, this is wild. Right. But this idea of, of both looking back and looking forward... Like that seems to me just to be to be the kind of key part of Advent. Yes. Promise I'm not sharing my screen with you because you're talking exactly what I think about in this season and in this moment, the point of this passage is. So I want to be a little bit of a theology nerd, especially a liturgical theology nerd, and talk about a couple of words that come from the Latin that are very important for the practice of worship for our liturgy, literally the work of the people gathering together to offer themselves to God and in service to God. There are two words, anamnesis and prolepsis. And they both are similar in their effort, but look in different directions, so to speak. And this is part of the work of the church. So anamnesis is in, is in, exactly, it's the closest thing is thinking about remembering, but not just remembering as in recalling, but like remembering and doing actions that make a past reality a present reality. Hmm. So it's like, like I'm thinking about remembering like more literally, like to read, do something, to read, literally yes, read. Yes, exactly. Remember. Like exactly. It Put it back, back together again. That yeah. kind of thing. That's okay. a, that's a really good way of thinking about it. Prolepsis is very similar, just looking in the other direction. We are doing practices now that are trying to make a future reality a present reality. So anamnesis is looking back, prolepsis looking forward, and both of these things converging in the present moment. Hmm. So I know... Maybe you can help me, Seth, think of some examples of things that we do in worship spaces that allow us to make the realities of our faith that we look back on and that we look forward to part of our present moment. Is there anything that you can think of that helps, maybe might help make those Latin theological terms (laughs) a little bit more tangible? Well, I think immediately of the baptismal font Mm. especially this is this isn't just lutheranism but this is like a broader mainline liturgical trend that since the 70s the baptismal font has taken on more significance again like both Mm. in where it's placed and how it's used but I i think often that even just having that in our worship spaces where it's visible but that can be an act of remembering. 
because it's not that we're we're rebaptizing people every week, right? But when we see it, and maybe we t- we touch the water, right? Like it's it's a remembering of what has happened to us. Yeah. Well, I think Seth, I think baptism is a wonderful example, especially I think in traditions like ours where we practice infant baptism. Because I was not baptized as a baby. I was baptized as a teenager in a congregation that practiced believers' baptism. So I have I have the privilege of actually remembering my baptism when I'm asked <laughs> to remember it. For for folks who are baptized as babies, they don't may not have the visible, tangible memory of being dunked and sending a tidal wave out of the back of the baptistry onto the <laughs> stage and probably a too much water on a little bit of sound equipment, but that's beside the point. But what we are doing in spaces, when we're baptizing a child, as we do in our traditions, we believe that something is happening, yes, to the child, but by making that reality present, by performing this practice, we're also making the past realities of our own baptisms and our own welcoming and ushering in to the life and family of faith. We're making that a present reality as well as a reality from our past. And we're also doing some of the work of thinking about what being in community together will be like in the future too. So I think, I think baptism is a wonderful, wonderful example. And I think we could have a similar conversation about communion too about what that means for how we look back and how we look forward and how the practice is a perfect intersection there too wait that's exactly where i was gonna go yeah but rather than rather than go into that in detail i want to get back to kind of your point that transitioned us here about how advent is that action of both looking back and looking forward because the season of advent is a season of expectation, of anticipation, of waiting, in a sense, for the celebration of Christ's coming. So we're, in a sense, looking back and telling the stories. We're looking at scriptures that support it, but also looking at scriptures from the Gospels that tell us about how Jesus was born, how he was nurtured in the waters of Mary's womb and born in a cattle stall or whatever you want to call it that where he was born but we're also not just remembering we're also still looking forward and looking to see ways that christ may come in our midst today in addition to in the future and again there's this intersection so Hmm. what what do you think about that how does that dynamic of looking back and looking forward play into our experience of advent here and now i was taught in seminary less so just like in my regular church life but definitely in seminary that advent and lent are sister seasons Mm, yeah and i at the time i was kind of like okay sure (laughs) i don't know but the more the more that we talk about it today the more i think that what they share or what what kind of overlaps what makes them related is the looking back like when i think about lent that's primarily you know back looking back but when i think about advent it 
It's that plus mm. prolepsis. I hope that makes sense. But I guess for me, Advent and Lent are sister seasons because while they share the anamnesis, <laughs> Advent adds on this kind of proleptic element. Sure. Well, I think you know, we could talk about Lent adding in some looking forward too because we're anticipating resurrection in that. But I think we're more grounded in the you know what the ashes and the <laughs> and yeah. the other stuff that's yeah. more of a mark of the season but i i think you're so spot on seth that remembering is i don't know i was thinking like reassembling it's a lego set that you've built and then taken apart and you're doing it again hmm. and you're like both remembering what it was like to put it together before but you're also doing it again now like there is that re remembering that's happening right now as we're telling the stories of Christ's arrival on earth, of God arriving in the flesh, of Emmanuel dwelling among us. Hmm. And yet we're recognizing spaces where our lives long for Christ to, as the hymn says, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. So there's both remembering and expectation. There's both looking back and looking forward to bring this action of Christ into the present moment, even though it is both before and after. This might be a little more metaphysical than we normally get, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just think I just think the season is so profound for us because it also reminds us that advent is not just telling stories it is about doing and practicing those stories to make their truths and realities truths and realities in our time and to prepare ourselves for the truth and reality that is to come i feel like we need that on a t-shirt advent is not just telling stories we can add it We'll we'll add it to our merch store for <laughs> okay for the yeah. holiday rush <laughs> yeah in in Advent blue that's right maybe we can yeah. get a pink tis one. tis the season <laughs> <laughs> that was helpful Jonathan that somehow in Advent it's the culmination of the past and the future and it's this beautiful tension that we get to live in and then we experience together both in our kind of communal worship in general, but also particularly at the communion table, that there we see a God who is with us and was with us and will be with us, refining us, washing us, and who did all those things again and does all those things and one more time will do all those things. It's a great spot to land, Seth. Can I pray for us? I'd love that. So a prayer today comes from a colleague in ministry, Reverend M. Barclay, who is one of the primary voices behind the social media and liturgical and online presence called Enfleshed. And this is a prayer slash poem that they wrote for the beginning of Advent. And I think it really touches on both ideas of refiner's fire and 
remembering and anticipating and those tensions of time. Hmm. So hmm. it's a little bit longer than my prayer should normally be, but I think it's worth including in its fullness today. So let's pray. The season of Advent, active preparation, radical play and sacred pretendings. We practice the future, making the impossible possible with the fearlessness of children, unrestrained by the stale logics of what is. A divine invitation extends. Do not be afraid. Try on dreams of tomorrow, experiment with and for each other, moving together imaginatively in conflict, in rest, in material distribution. We play until practice makes possible. Counterperformance mm. constructs a counter-reality, community preparing the way. This is the time to try on the world to come, to bring it close, to bring it closer. One small, ordinary practice at a time. Practice, practice, practice. Neither a new way nor a new world will come to us all at once, not quickly, not without failures, not without patience and determination, but through holy repetition. Radical rituals of hope and curiosity, of learning and unlearning, mending and repairing, mending and repairing, inventing alternative habits of power that construct life anew. Divinity takes on flesh. Salvation draws near. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we're talking about another messenger, talking about John the Baptist. But thanks for being our messenger for that story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me remember it. Is an act of amnesis. Did I say that correctly? Is an act of remembering. And yeah, exactly. Wait, one more time. Say it for me. Anamnesis. Anamnesis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking back to, I was like one of the student leaders of FCA in high school, like Fellowship of Christian, oh, yeah. Athletes. Christian Athletes. And it was like one of our main ministry outlets on our campus at my like, a private Christian school. So it was like, <laughs> it was a big deal. And one year we were thinking of a theme for our year. And I think it was this passage that inspired it overall. But we came up with the theme of in his capital H element and did set like <laughs> sessions on earth, wind, fire, and water. <laughs> but my favorite part of it all, <laughs> despite this just Were being you total Avatar? like No. <laughs> I wish. That would have been better. But <laughs> what... <laughs> But what made it even more embarrassing was that we totally ripped off a brand logo. You know, the the clothing company element that has like a couple circles, one of them's broken up, and that has like a stick figure tree in the middle? Yeah, yeah. We recreated that but put a cross in the middle (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was a great series, and thankfully we didn't get sued for copyright infringement, so (laughs) it all worked out in the end. (laughs)